Extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangie Reed Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. In the spring of 2020, we produced 19 podcasts talking with superintendents and principals about how they had managed the sudden shutdown of schools in March and what they were planning for the fall. Well... It's fall, and we are back to talk about how things are going. Today, we're talking with some folks from Valley Stream 30 in Nassau County, New York. profiled Valley Stream 30 in the second season of the Extraordinary Districts podcast and wrote about them in my forthcoming book, Districts That Succeed. Dr. Nicholas Sterling is superintendent, and he joined us during the spring to talk through how he and his district managed the sudden shutdown. Dr. Sterling, thanks so much for coming again. Thanks for having me back. We're really lucky that he is joined by the team of folks helping lead the way through the pandemic. Jennifer Lunar. Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction. Thank you so much, Ms. Lunar. John Singleton, Principal of Clearstream Elementary School. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. Erin Malone, Principal of Forest Road Elementary. Thank you. It's very nice to see you again. Christopher Colorossi, Principal of Shaw Avenue Elementary School. Hello. Really excited to be here with you. How are you and your families doing? Are you all safe and healthy? Doing well, um, following all the health guidelines, but probably still uh, a little concerned for our communities as well as the nation and as it regards to the second wave that we're presently in and um, doing all that we can to stay safe. Well, you have adopted a hybrid schedule that you were planning to go use through December, but with cases going up, is this... This is a really fluid situation. Last week, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio closed schools just a few miles away from you. Are you thinking you're going to have to close, or are you still unsure? Well, I think, unfortunately, what the public does not understand is that um, decisions for closing are are local, and you have to take into consideration the positivity rates as well as the situation that is taking place within the area um, that you're in. So um, you can have a situation where one area is closed as well as another area not closed because they're not in the same zones, so to speak. I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that we have now entered a new way of identifying areas being red, orange, yellow, green. 
So it all depends on the science, the metrics that are provided, the conversations and um, decisions that are done in collaboration with the Department of Health, the county, and ultimately the state. So where is Valley Stream in all that? What color are you? We are not, we're not designated a color as of date, and um, we're monitoring um, cases as well as the positivity rates, and our schools are open, and we are currently um, functioning under a model where we have some students who are remote, some students who are on a hybrid model where they are coming in two days a week and having um, remote instruction three days a week. So... A lot of people are interested in how these hybrid schedules work. Um, you say students are in school buildings two days a week, getting remote instruction three days a week. Are they watching their classmates? How, I mean, how does, how does that work? If, if I'm at home, am I watching my classmates get in-school instruction and I'm getting it remotely? How does that work? So this is Jennifer Lunar. There was a great deal of conversation over the summer with both our task force team, which was comprised of administrators, teachers, parents, custodial staff, and teacher aides, parents, as well as students, when we were designing these schedules and setting up our models for a hybrid and a remote model. So our hybrid, we did also take a look at specific student populations. So our kindergarten students are actually coming into the school buildings four days a week, and they are only remote one day a week. So we wanted to, being that this is their first experience with coming to school, we wanted to provide them with as much as possible and as upfront as possible with the fear of if we ever had to go into a shutdown, we knew that we were giving them a strong foundation from the beginning of the school year. We've also offered this similar type of schedule for our self-contained classes as well. So they are also with us four days a week and they are remote one day a week. So for our students in grades one through six that come into our school buildings two days a week on their remote days, up until about this point, we are making a change as of December 7th, which I'll speak a little bit about in a second. All of our students who were in the hybrid model were remote with their teacher on Mondays. So our teachers were remote along with our students, so they were meeting with their whole entire class virtually. So that left two days where students were virtual. On those days, they were receiving instructional support from either a social studies teacher, a science teacher. Every day there is an SEL morning check-in that all of our students do with their teacher. So whether they're home or in school, they're signing on and we are doing wellness check-ins we do utilize the ruler framework in our school districts. So the resources from that framework really do support the conversations that our classes are having in the morning because it is critical that our students and our staff have a healthy well-being to be able to start their day off. Um, as well as our students who are home in the hybrid model, they also receive specials So whether that's PE, art, music, we have support services that are taking place on our remote instruction days as well. That includes reading, math, ENL, and speech support as well. ENL being English for uh, new learners, so mm -hmm. uh, or English for second second language. Mm -hmm. 
So as of December 7th, though, we are trying to get students back into the school building a little bit more. So instead of having the remote Monday for all of our students, we will have an alternating schedule. So we have a group of A students and a B group of students. So that will alternate every other Monday for students to come into the school building. Um, it is important to know that the building principals did an outstanding job in really setting up these classes over the summer because they did make sure that they were matching up siblings so that they would be on the same A or B schedule. Also configuration of ICT classes as well as ENL students in order to be able to receive the support services when they were both in school and at home. So let me let me ask the principals. Um, like this sounds really complicated. How how did how did you manage all that scheduling? <laughs> I I see Mr. Singleton, you are smiling. I'm going to call on you as the smiler. It, it was like a puzzle piece. You know, we we worked through it. Um, we were able to. Um, connect the dots and make sure that students were learning. You know, what I was very proud of, and I told Dr. Sterling to this, um, when when everything first happened, I said, you know, we, we have about a third of the students in every single day, but 100% of the students in the district learning 100% of the time. And the fact that we were able to do that was just uh, amazing. Aaron, if I can just jump in for a second, because I um, I, I think that there has to be um, at least a recognition of the amount of work that went into the scheduling. And you've recognized right off the bat how complicated that was. Um, all of the administrative team in Valley Stream 30 gave up a large part of their summer. Um, you know, vacation days were, were changed around. Dr. Sterling put us on a very strict meeting schedule where we were in contact with each other multiple times across the week to kind of go through this bit by bit. Um, our district at central office really took over the large piece of coordinating between the three schools, uh, but everybody had a role to play. And that was months of planning um, over this, this summer. And I, and I do believe that that makes a difference in terms of some other school districts, maybe not having the same level of success coming back. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Not everybody is, is bragging that their students are learning 100% of the time. As, as Mr. Singleton did. So, so Jennifer Lunar mentioned one complication, siblings, right? But what other complications were you grappling with um, over the summer? Well, uh, hi, this is Chris Calarasi from Shaw Avenue. Um, we have a rather large building at Shaw, so we have over 700 students. And similar to all previous years, we put a lot of time and effort into the reorganization of classes and of students. So we continued with that model, even though we were going into the unknown as we went into the summer and then, of course, the beginning of this school year. So we did organize students, um, you know, um, uh, heterogeneously. Um, the teachers from previous grades really put a lot of thought into placing students um, accordingly. Um, we then, over the summer, that was one of the complications. Uh, then when we had commitment letters from families uh, determining whether they were choosing the hybrid model 
or the remote instructional model is when we really had to sit down. And that took a lot of time in terms of uh, placing, replacing or reorganizing over 700 students. So that is really um, took a lot of time and effort. Um, but again, we looked at each student at each profile, uh, definitely taking into account um, siblings and such um, and, and, and find, found the best fits. Uh, in terms of students and, and, and teachers. So where did you, like, when you um, think about the summer, where where does your stomach clench? Where, where do you think, man, we just weren't able to do X? Because, because I don't believe you could possibly be successful in all of your ambitions to have heterogeneous classes with um, all the siblings. You know, I mean... That is really complicated, uh, even with a relatively small district of um, fifteen hundred or so students. Like, where where are you? Like, man, I wish we could have done X, and we weren't able to. Well, I think part I think part of the um, answer is that we were working against time. Again, we weren't given much time to create and develop what we felt was appropriate for our students, but we did do it. In hindsight, if we had had more time, obviously there would have been an even more robust opening and process. But for what we did, we were very successful. What we didn't have the time to do was to really vet and practice and developed the technology support systems that needed to be in place because you're thinking about literally the management and support of all of the various families in our school district as well as our own system being able to manage remote learning as well as the support of um, equipment, um, software, the, the infrastructure, all of that being managed in a very um, organized, efficient way. We had a, a few bumps along the way to, to get to a point where we felt things were running more smoothly. But I think that was probably the only thing that I would have said if we had had more, we would have gotten a smoother rollout of our technology. But you're, you're there, you're where you want to be at this point. Definitely. I know you all think really deeply about how to communicate both within your schools, among yourselves, among the administrative team, and with families and students. How did you communicate all these plans, all these, um, all the, uh, you know, all the schedules? I mean, this is complicated stuff for parents and, and kids to understand as well. Um, so, again, Chris Calarasi, I would say it really started off with that task force um, and having um, uh, all stakeholders uh, having a voice and feeling valued. Um, and as Ms. Lunar mentioned, um, the parents, students who were involved in that decision-making, um, as well as all various types of faculty and staff members. Um, what, what, we, what we keep saying is repetitive communication we're finding, um, using all different types of senses, okay, so not only reading something, but pop possibly watching a video, for instance, all three buildings, um, when describing our um, health and safety reentry plan, um, we actually filmed videos that we shared with families 
instead of just reading it in, let's say, a newsletter or so, which, of course, we still continue with. Um, uh, we continue with as well. Um, uh, the Google Classrooms that we utilize um, and what we call electronic book bags, where we post um, all of the communication and correspondence that we would normally, let's say, put into a student's book bag and hand uh, and deliver, we now have in our electronic book bags. So even those families uh, of remote students are able to access uh, that same information. And have you had resistance from students or teachers or, or parents around mask wearing and social distancing, hand washing? Is everybody on the pay same page on that? Yes. That's, that's excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I want to bring in my colleague, Tangi Reed Marshall. I know she has questions as well. She is the um, director of practice here at Ed Trust and um, longtime English teacher. Uh, Tanji, I, I, I know you have questions. Hey, uh, uh, good afternoon, everybody. Again, a pleasure to be here and learn from everybody. A quick question I had was you mentioned you have 100% of students learning every day, all the time. And the question I had was when you think about learning. There's so much conversation about students losing learning and lost instruction, kids behind, lost year, all the language that we hear. How would you talk about what Valley Stream 30 is doing to mitigate what has become the clarion cry around the possibility of students being grossly and egregiously behind because of what's been going on from the last end of last year into this year. This is John Singleton. Well, one of the things that I'd, I'd look at, and I, I thank my colleagues for weighing in on the um, planning that took place. But along with that planning was a lot of follow-up. And the follow-up that occurred at the building level was making sure that we were getting kids or students on Google Meets constantly, um, even if there was an issue that they may have had, whether it would be um, internet being down or a student not following up on an assignment. So at, the, so at the micro level, what we did was we made sure that students were being supported in instruction by using our classroom aids, by having teachers follow up. Principals would make phone calls. Teachers would go to houses and drop off materials. Um, uh, principals would uh, deliver food if necessary to students who uh, were having a tough time. And so it really was trying to make sure that you stayed connected to the community. And so, you know, um, you know I, I don't want there to be so much about me saying 100% of the time. I, I want, to make, want to be clear about that. We learn on a daily basis. We learn a lot of things on a daily basis. And it's really important for us to understand that we learn because we're connected. And one of the things that our district has always done is we've made, a, made it our business to know our families, to know our, the communities that we speak to um, from a cultural perspective, understanding the differences in all of our cultures and working together so that we can come together in, a, in a, an aligned spirit to make sure that education occurs on a daily basis. And so, um, and that's really what I was getting at. I was getting at the idea of, 
um, all of our colleagues that are on this call and our teachers, down to the custodians that clean the schools, um, through the secretaries that make sure that all of the documents get out. There's someone always working to the betterment of our students. And so because of that, students are learning and they're participating in a daily educational process. Thank you. Tanji, yes. this is Erin Malone. Um, I do, I agree with everything that John just said. And I did want to add that um, when this was first thrust upon us in the spring, we were in what we kind of termed a reactive mode, right? We, we weren't expecting it. We didn't know really what to do. We were trying to stay above water and make sure that we were doing the best that we could do for all of our students and staff and families. But with the expectation that moving into this school year was going to look different yet again, we really went into a proactive mode and that's where that task force over the summer became so essential with its focus on curriculum and instruction with one subgroup committee, another on health and safety, another on facilities. We really had these very, very finite and in-depth conversations about what challenges might we see? And, you know, we use the Danielson rubric here with our teachers. And, and one of the conversations we have very frequently with our teachers is, you know, looking forward for um, a, a preconceived um, mistake that a student might make, or what's a, what's a commonality that you could predict for and, and correct before it happens. And I think that that was really at the core of our task force. And we knew we wouldn't get everything right, but we were very, very committed to making sure that we had really deep and hard conversations about what we could do to forecast what were the needs of our community from student to staff to, to families and how could we plan for that in advance. So learning from mistakes and lessons learned in the spring, we were really under the leadership of Dr. Sterling and Jennifer Lunar who looked at our curriculum and instruction. We got feedback from our teachers in the spring about what went well, what didn't go well, what kind of professional development were they going to require in order to step up to the next set of challenges. We asked our families for feedback and surveys. What did they think went well? What would they like to see more of? And out of those conversations, um, I think the administrative team really came up with a, with a very strong plan moving into this year. And, and we were still still making tweaks as the summer went on because we had people who were doing summer curriculum work and aligning pacing guides and taking a look at where were some major gaps that might have been missed last year that we have to start with again. So the beginning of fifth grade, for example, might not look exactly like the beginning of fifth grade. There's review built in and we did a review period for the first four to six weeks of school to go back and make sure that we were catching up learners who might have fallen behind. We also offered uh, summer challenges over, over the uh, summer months for our students to kind of keep up. We had a summer school remote for our special education students. There, like, none of this just happened overnight. This was a lot of, of pre-planning and taking a look and being honest and having really hard conversations with ourselves saying, you know, what did we miss? What could we do better? What, what was lacking and how do we change that? And I think that was a major focus in our curriculum and instruction moving forward into September. From a macro, from a macro lens, I think also, and I, and I had shared this in, in the last time we did our uh, podcast, you know, it was very important for the uh, school district to continue the academic focus into the summer and obviously into the, into the fall with the understanding that we were not going to be focusing on 
um, gap, necessarily the gaps and, and, and kids being behind, but more so about where kids actually are and meeting them there and building on from that, from that standpoint. And, uh, you know, I think Lunar could share um, the fact that we also track that, track the learning and um, the level of knowledge where what our kids have with formal assessments and our formal assessments that we did in the, in the fall showed, you know, our kids at a very good, at a good, good spot at this particular point in time. Um, but again, we don't function from a deficit model. We look at where our kids are and build upon their strengths. And that is so helpful. Uh, Ms. Lunar, I was actually going to come to you as soon as he said that regarding, as soon as Dr. Sterling brought that up, really thinking about how are you learning about what kids are learning, right? And so, you know, you talked about your formal assessments. There's a lot of conversation about whether or not districts should do end-of-state assessments this year, really thinking about how we're learning about where kids are, right? Really holding against a deficit model. So, Ms. Lunar, what are y'all learning about kids learning this year? I think, you know, there are structures that Valley Stream 30 has had in place even before this transition and our response to COVID. And I think the fact that we had some of these structures in place is allowing for us to continue to monitor and best support our students. So what I mean is we have a district-wide RTI plan. We have district-wide data meetings that take place on a six to eight week cycle amongst teachers and their building administrators. So we are constantly keeping a pulse of how our students are doing toward meeting their goals, any additional support they might need and enrichment. So we're constantly tracking this through Fontes and Pinnell running records. We do administer the NWEA for both reading and math across the district so that that provides us with information specific to the domains aligned to the state learning standards. So we're able to see how students achievement and are they working on grade level, above grade level, below, and, and able to really support and adjust our, our learning pathways that way for our students. Something else that we, the structure we have in place with our grade level leaders, as well as our professional development calendar that we've really worked the last year and a half to build in professional learning communities so that our teachers are constantly looking at both the skills that our students really master by the end of a school year, but also having the time to take a look at that data and analyze and say, okay, well, how do we know if our students are actually mastering these skills? What adjustments do we need to make? So we built those in this year on pretty much also every six week cycle. So our teachers have two hours together after school about every six to eight weeks. And this is where going back to Dr. Sterling's point, you know, we're meeting students where they're at, we're making the necessary adjustments still, even throughout this school year to our existing pacing guides based upon the collection of informal and formal data from our teachers. And this is the time that they can come together as a grade level to talk about that, to make the changes across a grade level for the district. But then as I shared, we do also have that structure in place where our teachers are meeting with their building administrators to talk about students, their progress, their goals, and making any necessary adjustments to support services. Yeah, that makes total sense. I was thinking about that regarding uh, both your running records for your readers, right? Because it's so important that we 
make sure students are learning how to read with all the conversations and the need for that. And then when NWAE was thinking about how we thought about how the world thought about learning, they were making these predictions about learning loss and the amount of learning loss, uh, tracking up, you know, 50% of math, 70% of ELA, or it might've been reversed. Are you, were you finding that there were large percentages of learning loss tracking with NWAE? how they were predicting it? Taking a look at our students and how they performed this past fall when they have just taken it um, and comparing that to the national norm on average, all of our grade levels are performing above the national norm. For the That's fall. exciting. That's so exciting. Chris, were you about to say something? I think I might have. Yeah, Tangine, I just wanted to note that, you know, we really pride ourselves also on triangulating the data. So although NWEA uh, RIT scores really do zoom in um, and, and we're able to identify specific skills um, that students um, need, um, it, it's also just one piece of the puzzle, as John mentioned before. Um, you know, we do also use the uh, Fontes and Pinnell continuum, um, as well as uh, teacher trackers and teacher observations within the classroom to really build profiles of students to see exactly um, what type of supports are necessary. So one thing I wanted to ask, you, you mentioned that you have these SEL uh, sort of check-ins every, every day, was it? Yeah. Um, so that's social emotional learning. Um, what do they look like and how are you finding, are you finding that the kids are, right now, there's a lot of talk about kids are isolated, lonely, uh, really having a hard time, mental illnesses sort of coming to the fore. How are you, how are you um, uh, tracking how the kids are doing and how are they doing? So every day, you know, our, our, this has to be probably one of the biggest positives to come out of our restructuring of instructional models from both from the feedback we're getting from teachers, from parents, from students. Multiple teachers have shared with us that the students look forward to that time every day because the teachers do try to change up the activities that they do with students. So, for example, our teachers have created their own virtual SEL wellness rooms. So with the use of Bitmoji and some Google Slides, they really have gotten very creative. They will post different texts that kind of relate to feelings that our students might be having. As I shared earlier, we do utilize the ruler framework. So our students do regularly engage in a mood meter check-in. So they will check in with how they're feeling. It does give them an opportunity to share stories and, sh and share their own personal feelings, whether verbally with their classmates to be able to, to type that, write that down somewhere. So this has really become a, an excellent addition to our, our day and has been well received by everyone. Even your older students? Yes. <laughs> that was my question. Okay, this is great for the little kids. How about the older kids? Are they going, oh, I hate this, or do they love it? How are they doing with all that? And, and for our hybrid students, this is the opportunity, as I shared earlier, that the students who are at home are signing into a Google Meet while the students who were in school that day are there. So it gives them an opportunity to see each other, mm -hmm. wave, say hi, you know, if it's someone's birthday, they'll sing happy birthday to them. So it's still building that community, even though they're not all physically in the same space together. Sounds like fun. And how are the teachers doing? John? 
The teachers are doing well. Um, you know, we talked about our SEL program working for students, but our SEL program also works well with our teachers and our staff. We have uh, school psychologists on in every school, and this week actually happens to be National School Psychologist Week, and the teachers and students are doing activities currently right now in our gymnasium, um, highlighting how to stay socially and emotionally fit, um, how to deal with anxiety, because this is an anxious time for all of us, and our teachers are, doing, are coping with anxiety by using the same skills that we teach our students to utilize. That's so interesting. Um, and how are you all doing? <laughs> You're keeping it together for everybody, right? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, you know it, it, it cannot be stated more clearly that it's a stressful time. We are all stressed and we are focused on trying to do what is best for our children. And I think um, the fact that we are a collaborative team in the district, and I have to say, um, transparency is key to our ability not only to be collaborative, but to trust one another and to really take information and um, process it in a way that we can be as objective as possible, because there is some subjectivity to, you know, being in a pandemic, and then ultimately come to a space where we all can agree upon and move forward in terms of providing um, a learning environment as well as a curriculum and, and programs for our kids overall. Have you had cases within the schools um, from uh, either teachers or students or staff members? Yes, we've had a few, um, less than five for each category. Okay. Um, which like at this point in the pandemic, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yep. It is. <laughs> um, but it's still, it's still anxiety provoking mm -hmm. as, as you say. Yeah. Right, because I think what has happened in terms of um, trends and the, and the following of the data, schools are relatively safe because we are in a process of following all of the guidelines that that are that are been put out by the CDC and local Department of Health. And I and I have to say our Department of Health has been tremendous in terms of working with us to address issues and be able to provide information back to our our administrative um, staff as well as our teachers and parents. Um, that has been key in terms of transparency as well as decision making that needs to be made as it relates to health and safety in the district. Um, overall, it, it, it has been a positive experience. So Dr. Sterling, you're also president of the, of the Association of Superintendents in Nassau County. Did I get okay. that right? I'm now former as of oh, uh, July 1, so I'm now the past president. <laughs> oh, good. So you don't have to be diplomatic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, I was curious if you from your sort of your vantage point, are you able to reflect on how other districts are handling this? Do you, is there any district you say, oh, they're doing a great job of, with X and we, you know, we should look to them for their expertise? Or are you pretty much thinking we are standing above the shoulders of others or however you want to put it? 
Um, are, are there other districts that you think are doing uh, really well with this pandemic? Well, what is wonderful about the Nassau County Council of School Superintendents um, is that we have an opportunity for all of us to, on a bi-weekly schedule, to meet and um, discuss the issues that are um, priorities in our in our in each of our districts. So we have an opportunity to do the comparisons, to to learn from each other, to um, gain resources and or find resources that someone else may be aware of that now may help our, our own individual districts. So I don't I don't see it as a, as a competitive situation. I see it more as we're all in the same boat and we all have an oar and we're all trying to, you know, move the boat forward. And if anyone has a, a good idea, please share it. And, and that has been going on across the um, county. Um, the, the uniqueness of this pandemic is that, you know, it is all, hit, it's all hitting us. But the reality also is, which is nothing um, not known, is that how we respond and how we're able to respond based on the resources that we have in our districts is different. So that is where the inequities come in. And so some districts were able to um, quickly and without effort um, deal with the distribution of um, technology or it was already you know, distributed. It wasn't an issue, whereas others didn't have and had to literally buy, wait, and are still waiting for um, equipment to come to, to the district. So depending on the resources and, um, you know, I, I hate to say it, the wealth of a district, um, had a direct impact in terms of how responsive you could be and how you would respond. Because I think every district has been responsive, but they've had to respond in a very different and unique way. And what makes it very different, difficult on Long Island is that everybody knows what's going on in another district and then may want to know, well, why aren't you doing it this way? How come that district is able to do it? There are, there are layers of factors that go into decision-making. So it's not easy to just say, well, if they're doing it, you should be doing it also. So in other words, parents will say, oh, you know, or teachers will say, well, they've got this equipment over here. Why don't we have it? Right. Well, we don't have the money. Uh, New York being one of the most inequitable uh, states in terms of school funding. Um, I don't know if you want to say it, but I will say it. Um, I think Illinois had that uh, had that prize for a long time, but I think New York has claimed it now because Illinois has has done some things to to uh, to fix its its funding system. So, um, Mr. Singleton, I know you work with principals across the county. Also, you're you're part of the principals association. I, I assume you're all, all all of you are part of it, but I know you're. Um, you have an official role. Are you hearing the same kind of thing as Dr. Sterling is at the superintendent level? Yes, it, it really does come down to funding. Um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, state funding this year is going to is going to be different than it has been in, in previous years. And so um, schools have had to be um, very judicious in how they use that money in order to make sure that schools run properly. Perfect example is just PPE, for example, making sure that the PPE in all of the schools is going to be compliant with state regulations. Um, so it's, so it's, it, it's, it varies by school district, it varies by Long Island, it varies with um, 
Suffolk County as well. Um, so, you know, we really have to keep an eye on, on what happens with the science and how it progresses and how the school districts were, are going to be budgeting um, money to make sure that the pandemic uh, does not affect them either further as the school year continues. Funding is definitely an area that is commonplace for both the superintendents and the principals overall. And I wonder, Mr. Colorossi and Ms. Malone, if, if you could speak to, like, if we had more money, this is what we would do. Like, like is there is there something you're on your wish list that um, that that is just impossible given the funding? I think at this point right now, Karen, um, our district has because of of really excellent pre-planning, as Ms. Luna said, even before COVID nineteen became a reality for us, um, we were able to make sure that everybody had devices, which was huge. You know, you hear about the digital divide. And that wasn't something that we were faced with here. We really were able to make sure that every family had that. We even went so far as to offer hotspots if that was something that was an issue in terms of internet service. Um, I, I, I can't think of a physical resource that we don't have that we need at this particular time um, other than would there potentially be some other opportunities for us to explore some other ways to support families? And, and quite frankly, we've, I think we've gone above and beyond in terms of, of what we have been offering to people. Um, so I can't think of a, of a specific item that we, that we don't have, unless maybe we were to all get a, a nice wellness room in all of our buildings for our staff members to kind of go and relax at. And I know that Mr. Singleton is working on one of those in his building right now. And I was going to bring that point up, uh, Aaron, even space um, with the hybrid model that we're utilizing, we're really allowed to to utilize space, really keep the six feet distance. Um, for instance, we have we have aides that may be working with remotely with students. So even the aides have their own devices. They're working with students remotely in a room that is quiet enough, you know, it, it, it really, depending on the, the, the number of students within a group, we're really able to utilize the building and just our physical surroundings um, uh, really nicely. So we, I mean, even, even that we, we're, we're, we, uh, we're plentiful at right now. This is Tanji, I have a quick question. As you all are thinking about what appears to be working so well, when things open up, how much do you expect families to want to stay in a hybrid or come all the way back? Do you suspect that some families say, you know what, this flexibility is really working for us and we want to continue it? How many families, or obviously you can't give me a, give us a number, but like, do you suspect families are going to want to continue in this educative process? Um, that's one question. And I also have a question about the inequities that were raised. And we know funding is part of the inequities. Um, how do you suspect the pandemic and what we have known about inequities that have now been exacerbated? How do you expect what we've learned about the inequities to be abated somehow? Um, I think the first question in regards to the the model, keep in mind in New York State, um, 
the governor is actually the person who um, determines um, right. we are able to or should be following. So we are following state guidelines in terms of the issue of providing choice to families. I don't know if that would continue to be the case. So we, we, we wait to see what happens there. But ultimately, um, you know, I can say I have in, 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 in front of me is ultimately going back to a five day in school with where we were before, before the pandemic. That's the ultimate goal. How, when, when and how we get there is obviously um, affected by a, a variety of factors. The inequities, anybody else in regards to what might be an issue that we might take away that, from what we've learned? I think that we've, this is Sarah Malone, I think that we've really done quite a bit as a district to, uh, to make sure that everybody has the same resources, everybody has accessibility to the same resources. You know, some things we can't control for, Tanji, in terms of time. Let's say time that a family can, can spend on a parent engagement opportunity or, you know, reaching out to a teacher and setting up a conference because maybe, you know, their work schedule doesn't allow that. And even in that, I have to give credit to our staff members. They, they are willing to talk with parents late into the evening. And in fact, it was something we learned in the spring that we needed to tell them they needed to shut off at a certain time because they were still responding to parent emails and uh, digital communication via phone at very, very late hours. I would say that's probably, an, you know, and that's an inequity that I don't know the school district can account for. But I do believe that we have really done our due diligence in trying to make sure that there is not only an equitable distribution of resources, but that there's an equitable access to the support and help that we do offer. Another area that I would say in terms of communication that we are very sensitive to and trying to make sure that we take every effort that is reasonably possible for us to be able to communicate to our families um, in languages that um, they are comfortable with and, and can understand. So I think we have um, upped our game, so to speak, in terms of trying to do more of that and, and outreach to those families that may need very complicated information that we're, we're managing right now and trying to provide it in their language so that they have full understanding and then obviously to build their comfort level as we move through this. And just how many languages are we talking? It's, it's a fair number. In the district? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, multiple. Um, we have thir over 30, 40 lang different languages, but our major languages, English, um, um, Spanish, Urdu, are the, are the top three in our district. Well, so we should, we should kind of wrap this up, but it seems to me that you all today demonstrated why I included you in my forthcoming book, Districts That Succeed, uh, Breaking the Barrier Between Race, Poverty, and Achievement. Um, the coherence, the, 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 uh, the calmness with which you are facing a really, really difficult situation, I think, um, is evident. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask that Tanji didn't ask that we should like make sure that is said in this? The one thing I do want to add, because I, I have a, a macro lens and I just want to, I just want to say that, um, one of the big differences between school districts across Long Island is, is the, um, board of education and their involvement, commitment, and support that is provided to a district 
and and and, and allowing um, the district to really um, develop the uh, the strategies and the programs and the activities that are going to support our students as well as our staff. And I can just say for our Board of Education, they have been a tremendous group that has had vision and has always supported um, the administration. And um, I think that makes a difference for superintendents as well as administrators in terms of managing any situation that occurs in a district. There are so many districts that you just hear about discord and disagreement and, you know, personal agendas uh, intruding we have we we need to get to the to the to the business at hand and which is our children and their education period that's a great way to end this thank you so much i really appreciate all of you and thank you thank you for being on here it was good to see you too um i haven't seen you since well i've seen you dr sterling but i haven't seen the rest of you um thank you so much i really appreciate it So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you'd like to know more about Valley Stream 30, I hope you'll go back and listen to episode six of season two of Extraordinary Districts. And I hope you'll read my forthcoming book when it comes out in the spring. If you go to Harvard Education Press, you can pre-order it now. Districts that succeed, breaking the correlation between race, poverty, and achievement. Valley Stream 30 has a really interesting story that is worth knowing about. If you have suggestions for what you would like to hear about in this podcast, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth, K-A-R-I-N-C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H or Tangie at remarsh76, R-E-M-A-R-S-H 76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. And I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast. And thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks, and see you next time.